Hello. Welcome to Therapy Talks. I'm Chris Place and I'm a psychotherapist. In this podcast series, I'll be chatting with different people about their experiences, their lives, their loves, their challenges, and what helps them find their way forward in the world. We'll also chat to different therapists and researchers about the models of therapy that they use to get a better understanding of these different approaches and how these different approaches might be useful at different times for different people. Hopefully it'll be lots of human connection and conversation about the challenges we have and also about what helps us get through. I hope it's going to be fun, enjoyable, entertaining, engaging, informative. Anyway, let's go on the journey. Well, hello, how are you doing? Uh, hope you're all keeping well. Uh, so I'm delighted to be bringing you an interview I had with the wonderful Andy Kirkpatrick. Andy is a British mountaineer. He's a writer, um, really best known, I suppose, as a big wall climber, uh, having scaled Yosemite's El Capitan 30 plus times. Um, we had an amazing conversation. We talked about everything and anything and really was a pleasure to hear him describe climbing experiences and lots, lots more beside. So I really hope you enjoy uh, the interview with Andy as much as I did uh, talking with him. Uh, well, hello, uh, Andy. Good afternoon. Good are evening. You? Good afternoon. Good, uh, good day. What day. I think it's good evening, is it? Yeah, we're in, we're in a, a secret location, I guess. We yeah, s- we can't actually say where we are. Um, we've been sworn not to tell people where you're living. Isn't that yeah, it? yeah, because of you know the the, the, the the stuff. The stuff we can't really talk about the stuff either. <laughs> we've been and um, so I'll give you a clue though. This is I'm not very far from where the guard was filmed. Oh yeah, that's right. So anyone who's seen the guard, um, yeah, this is very close to where the guard was filmed. Yeah, that's one reason why I've moved here. Yeah, because yeah. I feel kind of safe. That like level safe. of policing. Yeah, yeah, it's a serious level of policing here. But yeah, I have a question, right? Yeah. Okay, and I'm going to say right, there's a psychotherapy question. Yeah. Um, that you're not allowed to use, right? So in my years of training, right, um, you learn that when you ask questions, and they, they typically you're not supposed to ask lots of questions, you know, you kind of keep questions to a minimum, yeah. but there's certain questions you never ask, okay? Yeah. Use a certain word. Now, I'm going to give it some context. Um, about, oh, nearly 20 years ago, maybe, no, around 2002. Yeah, 2002, I was in Scotland uh, visiting a friend, and I hired a car, and I drove up into the Highlands, and then I met my friends who were going climbing and they were doing this uh, like cone up like rock climbing and they were bringing me to give me a go at it. Yeah. And so this guy flew up the rock face and it was a grade something or another. So I think it was a steep one, but not too steep because, you know, for my virgin attempt. <laughs> and uh, I went up um, and I fell off a lot of times, but obviously I was hanging from a rope. So I was safe. You know, I was yeah. hanging in the air and then I got to the top eventually quite traumatized and then I had to abseil down. Um, and then when I got to the bottom, uh, something happened and I started to cry. Yeah. But I was, it wasn't like I was crying. It was but, like my body was like, crying. Well, like re- out of relief. Well, I don't know what it was because I wasn't, I was going, why am I crying? Like I didn't have any <laughs> sense of any emotion, but it was like, <gasps> oh, this sobs. Really? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they said, oh, well, that can happen for your first time. It's an adrenaline release or something. I think they'll just be <laughs> nice to me. So my question is, why? I've never heard anybody crying. I've heard people crying when they've been climbing. Yeah. But that's my, that was because I was really horrible to them yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I mean, I just thought maybe there was some sort of thing you could say, oh, well, it's everybody cries. It's a normal thing. No. no. Okay. So it's like, it's like losing your virginity or something. <laughs> so relieved that I've lost my virginity. <laughs> 35. <laughs> 35. So, yeah, my psychotherapy question is, why? Why? <laughs> why? We're not to say why, but why? Like, why, why, why go climbing? Why? Because it's there. Because it's there. Because it's there. So, like, because you, you climb up very extreme things things yeah uh my my cousin is a rock climber yeah and he he works down the job where he's up on very high things yeah uh, my cousin's name is like Nash. rope access yeah of. like he, all that stuff yeah you know, cleaning he, windows fancy cl- cleaning, cleaning windows very high windows yeah. yeah and um i sent him a message i said i'm going to be interviewing andy kirkpatrick and he went F-, and he went fuck off really <laughs> i said that guy's that guy's a he's a winter climber He's like, he's just he's winter climbing. He's, I mean, he's, he's brilliant. He's mad though. <laughs> Jesus, I can't wait to listen to that. I was, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was a friend, a mutual friend of ours who died. Okay. Uh, abseiling, he'd abseil off the end of his rope and died. 
And I was like, well, I was like, this guy, he, this guy was really sketchy and he was, and he was dangerous and he was going to kill himself. And the person I was talking to was like, you can't say that. Like, you know, he's just died. You know, he's like a really respected person. I said, like, no, no, he was like totally sketchy and you should call this kind of stuff out because other people die because you put people on pedestals, you think it's acceptable to be like that. And she was like, yeah, Andy, but people think you're sketchy as well. And, uh, and, I, and it, you know, sometimes you re- someone reflects back an image of you that's not the image you see of, of yourself. So you, you don't see yourself as taking risks in that regard? No, but may, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and you'd be like, you'd suddenly have this like realization of like what you were doing, you know, in yeah. the in the past, like what were you really, what were you really thinking? It's a... Uh, but I think at the time it seems completely rational. Like I guess if you know if you're running with the bulls or whatever, you probably know it's kind of kind of dangerous. It's kind of risky. But would you do a lot of planning for what you're doing? Not really. Like I'm I'm, I'm sort of notorious for taking like someone someone a famous client once said I'm a, I just I just self sabotage myself and I'll try and do something that's impossible, but I'll bring someone with me who, you know, can't climb and I'll do it in the winter time, in the summertime. I'll, I'll set all, everything against me to be successful. So, so, so set yourselves up for failure. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a very British thing is to be an amateur. You know, like, oh, I, I didn't do it, but I'm an amateur. You know, mm. I, I, I was in the Grand Prix. I didn't win, but, you know, I'd never driven a car before. I'm an amateur. You know, I, I, even though I came last, it's kind of cool. You know, I'd never yeah. driven a car before. I only yeah. had two wheels, you know, and, and I ran out of petrol halfway through. I had to go and get some petrol. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. people love that kind of, you know, Scott, Scott of the Antarctic, yeah. you know, basically he starved to death. All his men died. You know, he's a, a total idiot, you know, and, um, you know, Nan, um, uh, Amundsen, he, he was fatter when he arrived back from, you know, than when he set off. So the Norwegian perception of excellence is that you don't have any epics and you plan mm. and you train and you have the best equipment and the best people. Where the British thing is like, we'll take a load of ponies down there and we'll just muddle through and, mm. you know, even if, we, you know, and it, they, for people always remember Scott, they don't remember, you know, Amundsen as much. So it's yeah, like a very yeah. British, amateurish kind of thing. Like I went, I went, we went and climbed up the, you know the highest mountain in Ireland, is it Karen Tool? Karen, yeah. And we and we went and did this like this thing called um, Howling Ridge, which is like a basically like a rock climb, incredibly loose and pretty pretty dangerous, I would say. But with my wife, who was like seven months pregnant, you know, and uh, did you really? Do yeah, that? yeah. And and a, a few times like this is really really stupid. Like if something bad happened here, there's me and her, you know. And we 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 get to the summit, and you're coming over. There's this sign saying, "Do not come this way. This is like deadly." You know, this is dangerous. And me, this is like pregnant woman like waddling up from this dead, you know, north face of Karen Tool or something. And I was like, it's just a, it's kind of like bragging rights for her. Like, oh yeah. yeah, when I was, you know, it's kind of very like, oh yeah, I did that, and I was pregnant, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, but it's you know, if if she was like super, you know, super fit, super strong, what would be the point of doing it? Like, it's just a foregone conclusion. But to make it more difficult is. So the, okay, so that's I suppose that's the therapy piece in it, or not the therapy bit, but like there's something, there's a motivation in that for you. Is there's a challenge in it? Embracing the, in, your own incompetence and crapness. It's your own humanness, isn't it? Like <laughs> you know, as humans, like really, like we're incompetent a lot of the times. Like I think I think that's the the mistake that people make. They they look from the they look at professional professionals and all this kind of stuff, and they think that there's a that they actually are professional, but they're all just making it up as they go along. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a skill of of uh, it's like overcumption of being over overcoming your own incompetence and the and the mistakes you're making and and you know the variables that are mm. impacting whether you can succeed or not and being able to just muddle through is a, is an amazing skill and you'll see that you know when they were coming back uh, Apollo Apollo eleven or Apollo anyway when they come back yeah. from when they come back you know when they were landing on the moon they had all sorts of mistakes you know they ran out of fuel almost they had all sorts of things but it was the ability of Neil Armstrong to suddenly t- manually take control of the thing and you know they lost it was like loads of things were going wrong all the time but people don't see that they just see this idea of these excellent these astronauts. But it's yeah. their ability to adapt and modify so them. Be flexible and be able to. Well, I suppose that's the thing, because you see, like as a therapist, I see a lot of people. And one of the big issues is this idea of perfectionism. Like, yeah. I need to be perfect. And yeah. you know, it doesn't exist. Like, yeah, so yeah. it's an illusion, you know. Yeah. And, and like, 
this is something about that of being the, the ability to say, well, yeah, like I'll make a mistake and then I'll try something else and then I'll do this and we try this way and we like, don't know. Like, like, you know, like real, like real men, like a real man mm-hmm. in my, in my perception is someone who never says anything you know, like a cowboy, you know, mm-hmm. your classic, he just never mm-hmm. says anything and he's, he's just there. Stoic. He's like a stone yeah, because yeah. he doesn't, if he, you know, cause if he says anything, he'll, he'll just like, he'll portray himself like, Oh God, I'm shitting myself. Yeah. Or like, you know, oh my God, I've just, I've just dropped the saddlebag with all the food in it. But it's just like, so it just says you know, like, and the no, Norwegians, like I've spent a lot of time with Norwegians, so I think about Norwegians a lot. But Norwegians are the same, this kind of like, never say anything. Russians are the same, you know, this kind of, but really deep down, the coffee often can be incredibly incompetent mm. and very, you know, like, I think people are very optimistic, are really, really dangerous people. There's a, there's a fine line, between, you know, you need to be like a, an optimistic pessimist in the way, but these mm. people are like everything will be great. Like often they're really dangerous people. Like hey, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's like no, no, you know it might not be fine. And well, so would you would you take it? Like I mean, you're like what? what okay, what was the first time? What was the first? When did you first climb? Like what age were you? Uh, I, I, was, I was so young. I don't I don't remember. So I was probably so like four years old you, or something. When you first started climbing? Yeah, yeah. Really? Well, because my dad was a climber. Oh, was so he? you know when you yeah. when your dad's a climber, they want to drag you out there as yeah. soon as possible. So he brought you up. Yeah, and but always been always someone who was like climbing up stuff. And then when I was mm. six, I lived in a block of flats. So you so you have this. You're living high off the ground. You're living on this, you know, tenth wow. floor or you something. Climb up, climb up. Climb uh, yeah. Up, so climb. you're like climbing up the up the side of the really? garbage chute, and all, really? you know, yeah. So wow. there's all and there's all these like apocry- apocryphal. I can't say it, these tales. Yeah. You know, of like you know tramps, tramps. You used to call them tramps in those days. Homeless people these days, but you know tramps, and uh, you know like homeless people like falling off the blocks of flats, so or people committing suicide and. The kids would be like, "Oh, I see this br- broken paving stone. That's where someone jumped and landed on here." And all and people like using washing lines and you know to go down, scale down on a washing line and the washing like, line breaking. Like sailing down. Yeah, and yeah. Breaking. So, so you were seeing all of that or witnessing all of that in some way. Or yeah, like yeah. The stories so, of it. Yeah, because you're living in a like. A, yeah, I lived in I lived by the sea because my father was in the air force, mm-hmm. so we like traveled around. And the first place I really remember living was by the sea in in, um, in mid Wales, like right on the coast. Mm. It was like a big uh, a camp there, army mm. camp thing. And then when my parents split up, I went to live in Hull, which was pretty pretty grim. They always said the nineties, no, the sixties didn't arrive in Hull until the nineties, and I lived there in the nineties, and it, it wasn't it wasn't there then either. So, but it was pretty grim. You know, you went from this kind of you know. Up, you know, like house, you know, house by the sea kind of thing with kids and you have total freedom, go wherever you want to live, living in a block of flats where they're like, there's people glue sniffing in the st- stairs and lifts, yeah. things of piss and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just, just really great. And like, you know, like 1970s Britain was pretty, pretty was grim pretty anywhere. Bad. So that's a big, ch- like that's a big transition or a big, yeah, big that was, jump, a, like. that was the biggest trauma of my life. It was not necessarily your parents splitting up. It was being like taken away from this yeah. place. Yeah. And I think often all, all all my life, you know, I was wanting to go back to that back to that place. So that that place was that there was an idyllic and not an, an idyllic, but there was something very special about where you had been. Yeah, so yeah. The, so your parents were together. Uh, you had you know you had some sort of security. Yeah. You had, and I think, yeah. So I think a, a lot of it there's, there's, it's, it's very it's very kind of like I, so I have I have this I have this idea that. Um, like nowadays, I would say my percept my if someone could see me if I talked about myself, I talked about things. They would imagine me as a very old-fashioned kind of person. Mm. So the you know like a almost like an like a like a a, a real man kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like a farmer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I have this thing. So so I, I so you you know you're on a train and uh, you get on this train and when you know when you when you're young. You know, outside the windows, everything's how you think it is. You know, the you know, the, the the world how it how it how it appears, and then as you go, if the first platform you get to, the first train station you get to, is this one where things get much more deeper, and you start thinking more about the effect of your your parents splitting up, and mm-hmm. and you know, I, I was like really dyslexic, and I didn't I didn't know all this kind of stuff, and all these kind of sort of small afflictions and traumas and slights and you know and and you can just stay in this one place but but oh you can get back on the train you keep on going mm-hmm. and eventually the eventually you kind of end up at a place where you just leave all those things behind because mm-hmm. they're, they're of no real value mm-hmm. you know they just drag it'll just drag you down mm-hmm. and you have to just go through life completely 
you know, I guess you call it compartmentalizing, you know, but, but I don't, I don't, I think because I'm, because I, because I make a living writing, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think words are really important. I think people, even using the word compartmentalization is we kind of try and create an image of something which could be really, mm-hmm. you know, you could say like, you know, you put all these things in a bag and you put loads of stones in it and you go out into the middle of the ocean, you mm-hmm. throw them in there. You know, you know, you, you could you and just you let it sink down. Yeah, you can have like a more romantic. They're still there, and you know they're there, and maybe you could yeah. dive down and get them. But you, you know, they're of no use to you whatsoever. But when you think of it, compartmentalization in my head is there's a there's a place inside your brain where there's this box which is like, let me out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm there. Let me out. Yeah. So this idea of like you know therapy, yeah. if I just can tell you know let it let it all out. Yeah, like yeah. I don't, I don't actually believe that anymore. I think that that kind of very stoical. Stiff upper lip, deal deal with it. Is actually probably a, you know, but if you say that, people imagine you've just you've never actually visited the other the other the other side of this. If that makes, if that makes any sense. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you're saying to me, and you know, I'm sitting there as a psychotherapist, horrified at that. I'm joking, <laughs> um, but there's something about that idea that, like as you were saying about the compartmentalizing it or putting it in a box, it's in that part of your brain. And it doesn't serve a purpose. They don't serve a purpose, those those experiences now. Yeah. But they may have served a purpose, like to be able to get to a point where you can recognize that those experiences don't serve a purpose. Oh, they served a purpose. Because they, they made, they, yeah. They brought you to the place that you are. Yeah. And then there's something about, now I need to let them, I need to move on. So if people judge someone who's like, oh, Andy, he never really talks about these things. He doesn't mm-hmm. talk about his feelings. He's a, he, you know. The, the, he's he, this repressed. Yeah, he's like repressed. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. actually, I've, I've, I think it's been more, it's being more respectful to the to reality of the the people around you. Like I, I always think about this this friend I had, and basically they were both abused by their father. And um, the when her, when her sister was nineteen, she committed suicide. She just couldn't cope with this this mm-hmm. thing. And basically, father got away with it, and the mother sided with the father. All these kind of weird crap stuff that happens all the time in society in in the world. And but yet, this other person is the most well-adjusted mm. happiest person you would ever meet and and somehow she could put it in a sack and throw it in the ocean mm. in a way and you know like the, the the world isn't a the world's a better place for her being able to somehow have the strength to cope with it you know it's very easy to, like i have actually i have actually had depression and all these yeah. kind of things so i'm not, I'm not talking about this Someone who's I, like, and somebody who's like from a yeah, like, from oh, a, just cheer yourself a, up. A, a, theoret- a theoretical, yeah, like pull yourself yeah, together, yeah, man, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I've, I've, you know, I've been, I've been in the depths of despair. So this is more coming from the experience of yeah. how do I get out of this situation without medicating myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've had lots of my friends who've like committed suicide and all, and all these kind of things. So it's, but it's that, it's that, it's, it's that ability to somehow. You know, so if the zombies were coming now, you know, you're in a room with people and they're all, you know, in therapy. Lads, lads, zombie apocalypse. They were coming up the road. They'd be like, fucking hell. They'd be like yeah, yeah, running yeah, out yeah. of there and suddenly they would forget about those things. And if, you know, when you go to Africa and you see people, I remember going to, uh, in Kenya and we went to, to try and teach these guys, this um, uh, Samburu tribesmen, how to abseil for some reason. The idea they could get tourists into these mountains and teach them abseiling or whatever but um i remember like driving up there and this this guy walks this maybe like 14 this lad like walks across the road he's got his ak-47 um and he's got all these sheep or goats or something and this this young lad he walked with the most immense amount of pride it was like it was like starting this this he probably maybe had something as a, you know his family had these goats he had something but he was basically dressed in rags and he had a gun, but he had no bullets in it, you know. And I was, and it, it was like really startling when I look at, even look at my own kids, but this kind of immense self-pride and he was able to withstand, expect so many things. And we met these tribesmen and they were the happiest, mm-hmm. most together people and they had pride in themselves, pride in their community, pride in the tribe pride in the landscape they could say see this bush here this is a something but it's probably making it all up i mean but they were just mm. so well adjusted and there was no reason for one of them to be saying oh look lads i'm really depressed like my girlfriend's left me or whatever and i was like there's you know this these guys like they would have all they'd have is like a blanket and they'd have like a, they'd have a mobile phone <laughs> they'd have a mobile phone a little mirror a little cup on their belt you know they, they almost had nothing at all mm. 
but yet they were, they were like completely very happy yeah yeah like it's like who cares about mindfulness you know yeah and it's but you know it's funny i'm listening to it and i'm thinking as a society like there's something about where we've become almost disconnected from a lot of things from from ourselves in a very kind of uh I don't know, like we, we're, we're, we're having to do mindfulness to try and find our way back yeah. to something or, you know, like, I mean, we talk like in therapy terms, sometimes we talk about like coming back into the body, you know, like that idea that we've got so caught up in our head. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're like so kind of rushing around the place. And, and sometimes we're like, going, I'm just really depressed. I'm really yeah. anxious. I'm really whatever. And a lot of the work is just, like, just be in your body. Like, yeah. What, what's it like to just sit in your feet? Yeah. Walk around. Or get a, sh- get a shovel. Again, and just I, go on the beach know. and just shovel like I worked <laughs> in an organic farm and I remember I took a break from psychology stuff and I worked in an organic farm and I remember the farmer he was really into he was a really open guy this guy had I'm going to be interviewing him soon but he in the 80s he cycled from um, Cork up to the tip of North Pole yeah. and then cycled all the way down to the tip of South Africa all right. for two wow. years right? yeah. so he's ri- written an amazing book called Quandom and it's yeah. a class right Condom Quandom right. Quandom Quandom yeah. Yeah. sorry John Quandom. Yeah. Um, but it's like that idea that it's it. But his, his journey, like, but but I remember we were there in the farm. He was saying, get people digging a hole. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, get people into the land. Gardening or gardening, get build the walls. Visceral and, and, and it's but you don't think people don't want to be don't want to be well. That's a, that's one issue as well. Does it, you could argue, but I, I wonder. I sometimes think there's something about you know you come to therapy and you're sometimes don't know why you're coming to therapy. Yeah. Or you come to therapy because you're in crisis and. It's not like maybe there's a stereotype of I'm just going to talk about all of my problems. And that's yeah, all yeah, I'm yeah. Do. Like that's part of it. That's a starting point. Yeah. But then there does come a point where we have to lock those things into the into the box and move forward. Yeah, yeah. Like because those things will always be there. Yeah. They may take a different form, and maybe they were really there and more prominent at a certain time. Yeah. But I was like, because that's what I was wondering about when you're climbing. Yeah. Like, did you was you said at the start like the climbing was a sort of a, an attempt for you to reconnect to a time in your life where there was solidity yeah and there was ground i guess but i guess it's the same as digging the hole in that so a lot of climbing i've done is by myself mm. so i might be i think the longest i was by myself was in about 18 days like on an overhanging piece of rock like a thousand you always see a man on wire you know mm. like that was only 400 meters high, like the World Trade Center. So you're like twice as high. This is like bragging. You know, it's like, yeah. Oh, really? Is that all? Oh, right. That was only 400 meters high. Oh, the World Trade Center. Oh, half the Yeah. When I did this and I was there for 18 days. So. We, and I, the question is, well, apart from why? And then after I go beyond that and my fear, were you frightened? Well, there's no, so safe, safe you were walking through the, through the forest and uh, suddenly you, you just saw like a, a lion just standing in front of you like this. I, I, you wouldn't be afraid. Mm. You'd be something else. And that's the kind of feeling you have. Okay. And if the lion jumped on you, you wouldn't be afraid either. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, the fear is something that comes kind of afterwards, probably. It's The fear, I often think, is either after the event, which is kind of like a traumatic reaction or something, or like, I'm, oh, Jesus, or the anticipation of something. Yeah, yeah. But like when you're in it. And I was, I watched your TED talk that you did in Hull. It was really kind of mind blowing for me. I was walking down on a beach, right? In like, I was doing research for yeah. this interview. And uh, so I said, right, I'd make it easy on myself and I'll just watch something. And uh, so I was watching this TED talk. And in it, you say like, um, it was in, I think it was in Norway. Yeah. And you're going up this extreme face like this was, and you were 50 meters from the top. Yeah. And... I mean, it was really quite profound, actually. I got really moved by it, actually, <laughs> because you, you had a video of your son yeah. that you recorded of him when he was at his birthday. Yeah. And he saying, get away, Dad. Yeah, yeah. He's emptying bottles of lemonade. He's like, get yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. And then it accidentally, like, you had to decide, like, I have no food left, wasn't it? Or yeah. And I have, like... I was at this point where I either had to go down or, or I didn't okay. know what I was going to do. Yeah. And I couldn't find a safe way of doing the last 50 meters after, like, maybe up there for 10 days. And I've been there loads of times trying to climb this thing. And it was a, bit, a really big thing for me. I'd driven all the way from England all the way to Norway and stuff. So it was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just, like, it, it just got pressed on in my pocket. And it, mm-hmm. it just played the first little MP3, mm-hmm. you know, MP4 file on, the, on my camera. And it was just like, just hear this little voice like, Dad, Dad, get away. And it was, it was like, really, if people, my son doesn't believe it actually happened. But well, that's like synchronistic sort of, I mean, people, all the young Indians would be saying, yeah, I told you. Yeah, yeah. Synchronicity. Like I probably would have gone, I would have, 100% would have gone down anywhere. Yeah. But in just that, in just in that moment, it was a very, it was a very important thing. Because you can, you can become, 
you know, if you were fighting to, you're almost like fighting to the death with this thing. Mm. You know, you, the chance of being killed climbing this thing is probably quite high. Like no one had done it before. And there were moments where I could have been killed doing it. And so there's a, there's a bit where, where you have to realize, you know, like if, if we, if we played a game of like um, toss the coin mm. and uh, you know, if we get heads, I'm going to kill you. You know, but you can you can tell me when you want to stop. So it's kind of like what, what's that game? Um, <laughs> like Russian roulette. Russian or roulette. It's a bit of a Russian roulette. It's like, but I can tell. But, you. Okay, but yeah. eventually, you have to say like, right, I have to stop now. Like if I'm if I'm nearly killing, dying every two days on this climb, mm. eventually I'm going to get heads and I'm going to die. Eventually, yeah, you know, your luck will run out. Yeah. So 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 hearing his voice, but maybe that was you know there's a there's a point where you're like. Like I've failed so many times on so many things mm. and come back down again. Like it, often it's a sign of inexperience when people will just keep on going till they die. You know, as mm. it, the classic thing is when people climb Everest, yeah. you know, is they, they have this like summit fever where they just want to get to the top without all, realizing. Cost, like. Yeah. And, and, you know, people say that the summit's only halfway there, but really the summit's, you know, it's, it's less than that because you have so much further to get down from the top mm. than to get to the top because, you know, you're always more, ex- you're exhausted when you get to the top. Mm. It takes much longer to get back down. But I, I have climbed with people where they were, they had this like literally dragging themselves to the top and you have to say like, no, look, we have to go back down. Like we're not going to get back down otherwise. I, you said a thing in it like, and it was just that like, I, cause I'm thinking of like this drive we have to, it's like competition or like, I don't know, to reach the pinnacle of my being. I can yeah. be the best I can be in this kind of carry on. And you said in the TED talk, you said like, you, there was a huge turning point. It was the people were saying you must have been really disappointed. Like, yeah. And you said in it, it was like oh, one of the best things I ever one did. Of the best yeah. things I ever did. Because but there's a story about it as well. Maybe that's why. Okay. Maybe it's like it. But it was because I, I wrote this. I wrote an an article about trying to climb the troll wall. Because the weird thing was, I always said that this was an amazing lesson. The lesson of the it's called the troll wall. This mm-hmm. wall. It's like the highest wall in Europe. And I was like, the lesson was the was the gift of failure was mm-hmm. to was to understand failure. And but I actually went back six months later and cli- actually climbed and it in the you, winter. Did you get it? Yeah, did I got away to the top oh, in the winter. That was time. my question. I was going to say, I was there kind of going, I wonder, is it appropriate if I say we're in the midst of talking about the, <laughs> it's about the journey and not the destination and all this stuff. But I'm kind of curious, did you actually but, do it? Though? Yeah, but I ended up climbing with this. I ended up with climbing with a guy who'd skied, first man to ski down Everest, Norwegian, oh, wow. and a guy who'd skied, first person to ski all the way to the South Pole and back, so 2,000 kilometers all by himself, but none of them had been, were very, were actually climbers, so we spent like 14 days in the winter to climb this last 50 meters, so it was completely pointless, mm-hmm. but I wrote this article about it, and at the, the big, it was called The Gift of the Trolls, and the idea when I was writing it was the gift was the gift of, to, to, to accept failure, mm-hmm. but literally as I was writing the last paragraph, it was like, no, the you can't have failure without hope. Yeah. So it was, the gift, it was the gift of hope, really, to keep going back again and again and again and again. But actually to go back and succeed mm-hmm. wasn't really the point at all. You know, it's not the... So I think, I think maybe setting your own, you know, your own... Like, no one knows what the troll wall is or, you know, climb things in, like, Antarctica, which were, you know, really, really imp- impressive. But no one knows what you're talking about. So it's, it's not as if you're doing it for anyone's benefit. So it's like if you're doing, say, is it El Capitan? One you've done loads of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one that, like, the famous thing is that film Solo with Alex Honnold where he's soloing. Mm. He's soloing up it. So, yeah, so I've climbed that, like, 30, 30, 30 something times. that's quite a famous one, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But to go back, it's almost like, you're almost, like, autistic. You're, like, going, going back and climbing different climbs on yeah, this thing yeah. again and again and again when you could have just gone off. You know, the, the thing to do is to go and do, like, the seven summits, so you climb Everest and the highest mm-hmm. mountain in the seven continents. And then you just do like a, you know, a career as a motivational speaker. But it's like a full, to, to be a professional climber is a full-time job. It's just talking about what you've done. Mm-hmm. Where I, I always just wanted to keep d- doing it. I never wanted to be someone who was doing something, you know, like talking about something that was so long ago. Like if you're Joe Simpson, you're talking about touching, touching the, the void. void yeah. I mean, you know, you're I, talking I about something that was like 30, 40 yeah. years ago, you know. So like you... I, a mate of mine said recently, like I said, so you're a professional musician. He said, well, like, yeah, but no, I'm a musician for, like, I just mm. want to play music. Like, and the fact that I get paid for it is a bonus. Like, are you a climber first and foremost? I, th- I, I, I wouldn't even say I was a climber, really. Yeah. I think I think it's just, cl- like, if I wanted to be a scuba diver or something else, like, it's too, it's too expensive. <laughs> you know, you need, oh, skydiving, you have yeah, to pay yeah, to go yeah. up in a plane. Where climbing, you can get yourself into some really interesting 
you know, because I was really obsessed with science fiction when I was a kid. I think when I went to live in Hull, I just went to this like fantasy fantasy world. And uh, so I am a fan. I actually am a, I'm like a highly functioning fantasist mm. in that I, but I am actually able to make some of these things come true, which maybe that's, a tr- maybe that's true with a lot of fantasists. So, you know, you make reality fit what yeah, you want, yeah, yeah. how you want it to be really. Um, but, but, you know, if you're in Antarctica or you're, or you're in Patagonia or some of the, or Alaska, like when, was it two years ago, we tried to climb the highest mountain in Alaska, in North America, in the winter time. So it was minus 50. This is, this is you and your wife. Yeah, on Denali. Yeah. So it was minus 50. Yeah. You know, so that's pretty, minus pretty damn 50. cold. It's a chilly, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. We went, we, I think in the space of a year, it went from minus 50 to plus 50. So it was... Um, 100 degree. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like, is that... The, did you get stuck there for seven days? Was that the one? That, well, that... that when, no. when, when we when, yeah, when we arrived there, the ranger was like, basically, there's no rescue. If you d- decide to go on this mountain in winter, mm. like the chance you have a fifty percent chance of dying or something. And you know, literally, we'll measure you up for a for a coffin right now. Um, like, no, hardly anyone's ever climbed it in winter. It's super dangerous, super you know, super extreme. You get these huge storms. People have literally been almost like. Um, uh, is it freeze where well, just frozen in, in, immediately you know you just you can die like the wind if it gets windy you can get wind chill of like 100 minus 270 or something you can get like incredible incredible any really really tough stuff um so he said like you know we no one's going to rescue you if anything happens which, which was a pain because we, we paid for all this like insurance <laughs> so we didn't get to use it so we anyway she tried to climb the mountain and it took us about seven maybe six weeks to get to the point where we were like like one day from the summit and we just didn't have enough food to get there and back again and i was like no we have to go down and vanessa got like um uh, uh carbon monoxide poisoning as well so it was very, very but it's basically we have to go back down for vanessa because vanessa isn't actually a very experienced mountaineer so this is gonna look another example of taking someone who is almost a novice so on she this. wouldn't have done a lot of climbing no like she's climbed like mont blanc and she's yeah. but but this was like this is you know, this was like kind of astronaut level mountaineering, really. You know, so so anyway, she was good. By the by, the time she got there, she was she knew what she was doing. It was a good training. Yeah, good training. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, but she had this like, oh, well, let's, we'll just go for it. And I was like, no, we can't. Like, it's so you're so close, but you're yeah. still so far away from the ground. So we turned around, and we ended up when we got back all the way back down to the base, we had to get picked up by a plane. The weather just uh, the weather was going to crap out the next day, and we was we'd skied all day trying to get to this place, and it's called Heartbreak Hill because you you're going down this mountain at the last bit you have to go up a hill to where the plane is because the plane has to land on the glacier yeah. and turn around and fly down the glacier to take off again in the snow, so we're trying to get up there and in the dark we end up in an area of loads of crevasses and we're like we just have to like go to sleep get up at like four o'clock and try and get to the place where the plane will be. And we were so exhausted, we didn't wake up. It was like 10 o'clock. So by then the weather had crapped out. So we put the tent up and we had, I think we had, we'd left, they'd said like leave leave one week's food in this at this point in case. And by then we'd run out of all our food anyway. So we so we got, we, luckily the food was still there. We'd buried it under the snow, dug it up. And it was like, I think it was like one, it was like one big bag of pasta, which seems like a lot, unless you have to make it last for two people for like seven days. So we, in three day, the first three days, we had all we had was like one bowl of pasta every day with butter. We had some butter. And are you, you're like capped in a tent. a tent, yeah. And it's but it, but it's, but it, it felt very warm compared to being where you, you know, like you know, yeah. a few thousand meters higher, which was minus fifty up there. Yeah. Or like that. So we, so we, so it felt quite balmy down there. So feel <laughs> get a tan. Yeah, and so we, um, yes, yeah, so we had for, for the first three days, we had like we had the pasta. We had one bowl of pasta every day. And then, we, then, then the pasta ran out. And then they were like, "The weather's, the weather's not good. We can't get to you." And then we had, we had the trail. We had some trail mix, you know, like some peanuts and stuff. So we made that last for another, you know, like another few days, like two or three days. And then, then we, then they were like, "How much food? How much food have you actually got?" And we're like, uh, "We have no food." And they were like, "No, but how much have you really got?" We and we're like, have "Yeah." And we did have like, we had some sachets of porridge. But they were absolutely like this most disgusting. They were like some cinnamon, horrible American porridge, and we couldn't eat it. So I tried to eat some. I was just like, it was going to make me be, be sick. So we just, I think we had like, I think we ended up having no food for the last two days. And Vanessa's like very hyper, very hyperactive. She was like going out and digging a hole just to re- do some. To, for some exercise and doing sit-ups inside the tent, and she, and, and I literally didn't get out of the sleeping bag for like seven days. I was like, you've got to like, you know. 
Got to conserve you know, your energy. Yeah. Quite little there is. <laughs> Luckily, we had a we had a Kindle, so we had something to read. Yeah. And then uh, and then they were like, they're like, what we might do is if we can't the pla- get can't get a plane in, like a plane's crashed somewhere in Alaska, and there's a American you know like military aircraft flying around trying to find it. And what they're going to do, they're going to throw a parachute out with a GPS thing. It's going to land within one football pitch of your tent with food in it to keep you going. And we're like, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool if that, if that works. But then in the morning, they're like, there's a hole in the clouds. We're going to try and get into you. So we're like sitting there and we're like, and they were like, can you see this mountain, like Mount Huntington? Yeah. Can you see Mount Huntington? If you can, we can get to you. And I was like, we can't see it, but tell them we can because if we, if, if, we're not going. Yeah, otherwise. they're not going to come otherwise. So we're like, I think we, we will be able to see it soon. So she was like, yeah, we can see it. So then we're like waiting there and then it's like clearing. And then we hear this like, and it's like play, just saw the plane coming in. What it did, because the snow was so deep, it landed. And we're like, yeah. And then it turned around and it like flew off again. And we're like, ah. And then it came in, it kept doing this because it was basically trying to build a, a bit of a runway, some mm. like hard pack stuff. But it's weird, you laid, you laid there for seven days doing nothing. And suddenly it's like, quick, get on the plane. You're having to like pack everything up. And you can hardly walk because you're so, you're so exhausted after being up there for like, you know, a month and a bit. And uh, you get on this plane and like 50 minutes later, it lands on this airstrip in the middle of nowhere and they just they shove you out and you just that was it you're just there and you're back in re- back in the real back world the real there's world. like tourists going on sightseeing flights and stuff so it's so it's a, it's a very weird uh you know it's almost like coming out of a dream really I, I, uh, oh i just listened like i was like ripped there you know and I was having, I don't know, <laughs> but my dad but, but the problem was my dad because he they knew we were stuck up there they had they had this idea that we were trapped and we we're all going to die like you can you would not have, we would survived for you know, probably a few more weeks, probably, even without any food. You know, we had plenty of belly belly timber. You know, we would, would have survived for at least a week yeah. without any food. We would have been okay. But but there was this suddenly, like, on social media, it was like, they're trapped and they can't get down. And, like, Vanessa's dad, you know, losing Galway is like, can I, can I do anything? Can I come over? And it's like, what are you going to do? Like, hire a plane and, you know. So you know like, yeah. But, it, like, even listen to you tell the story, like, I knew, obviously, there was a happy ending because you're sitting here. Yeah. But I'm literally going, oh, it's gonna happen it's like watching a film that i don't know like or a, a you know like a true story on a yeah, film yeah. you know the outcome and if you're bear grills would be more bear, Gr- <laughs> bear grills would have done it though yeah yeah <laughs> i would I, i'm sorry i was gonna dig so you have to eat your own poo to survive yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I we ate each other's because it was yeah you it's know. probably a bit better like it's more frowned upon to eat your own i think but, uh, <laughs> i mean we have been on other places we tried to we tried to like mount uh, mount kenya you know it's like mm. a really famous mountain we tried to traverse Mount Kenya and we got stuck in a storm up there, but no one knew we were there. So it doesn't matter when they, when epics happen, happen in and isolation. Nobody knows. It's kind of, yeah, like, it's not, you it's just not. like get through them. So <laughs> it's just like, look, nobody's going to know us. So we just have to survive this. It's, it's really like when your kids go out and they go out like doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But you don't know. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter really. You so just hope you know gonna... that you're like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, but it does, it does make you, you know, like when, when people, you know, this this is one of the greatest things. Um, Tom Baker, who was like Doctor Who, mm. you know, in the seventies and early eighties, yeah, yeah, yeah. he he's got an amazing biography. I think it's called is it called Mister Baker or something. It was a really great book. But he was a he wasn't a men, he was a nurse for a, he was a, he went to be a priest, a monk, and he had he had this vow of silence and he wasn't allowed to look up. So he just he knew everyone by their feet and all this kind of stuff. And then he then he left because he didn't he didn't want to be a priest. So he was like. It's very shameful, you know. To, to you know, he was from Liverpool, and then he then he went to the army, and he was a nurse in the army, and then he then he was a builder. Anyway, but it's, it's an amazing book he wrote, and uh, but he has this thing about people of drama, and if they can't, if they don't have it, they'll make it, mm. and and it's it's you know, but when you're in a when you're in a situation where there's actual drama, you, the thing you don't want is any drama whatsoever. Yeah. So you but so you can't if you're by yourself, you can't bullshit yourself, yeah. and also you can't if you're really trying to keep yourself. You know, if I, if I if I'm with my wife and we're on this mountain and I'm just like I can't do it, there's there's you really have to look after yourself. You know, in all you know, it's, I guess it's that kind of Ayn Randian thing about, in a way, you're being you're being you, you can't you can't you are really selfish in a way. You're doing what you want to do, you know, and you're you're looking after yourself, but only on the understanding that they're looking after themselves mm-hmm. and together you're looking after each other. Yeah. But it but you haven't got any capacity to to help them. You're saving your capacity to help the other person when they really need. Like Vanessa got frostbite, mm-hmm. and um, 
you know, the, the, you know, some. He wasn't. She wasn't incapacitated, but she was, you know, very upset. She was like crying, and her, her toe mm. went black and stuff. But it, was, it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as it sounds. But it, she thought it was. But um, you know, but but then you have to then be a little bit more sensitive. But you can't be like totally, you know. You like put your finger, put your stump, your foot on my stomach, and we'll have some drinks and it'll be okay and blah blah blah. Because it's not like that. Because it's like no, you we have to keep going. Yeah, you have, you just have to be. Very like you're not going to die, and even if you lose your toe, you're not going to die. You're not going to get yeah. like septicemia or something. And you you said something. Thing. It's not about the love of climbing. Yeah, it's about something else. Yeah, yeah. It's about getting into trouble. It's get the trouble. Okay, your book. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe maybe because I'm I'm always. It's taken me years to be able to to be a finisher. Like I was always easily distracted. Yeah. Um, so I mean, because in your book, like you talk about um in um in psycho psycho virtual yeah psycho vertical the the start like the dice the dyslexic thing yeah just like been having dyslexia having it not having it diagnosed for yeah all of your school years yeah yeah i would say fuck dyslexia don't even talk about it if you spend the rest of your life saying oh i can't spell because i'm dyslexic or mm. i can't do this because i'm dyslexic it's very it's, it's a very damaging mm. you know way to do it like i i even now i i spell i've been writing a book you know for three years it's got mm. the word um abseil in it and i and i always spell it wrong you know like i'm I should be able to, I must have written this word mm. tens of thousand times. I still get it wrong because there's that part of my brain. Mm. But, but I think what it is, that part of my brain isn't interested in learning because I can just just check every time and realize it's felt wrong. And the same with like the word like where, you know, we are or, wh- or where are you going or, you know, it, I, I don't have to spell those. I have to remember that uh, it's a, even to say it now, like where has got an H in it. H is like house. So house is a place. So mm. where? So so even even stuff like that. You think that someone who'd won loads of awards as a writer would know how to spell, but it, but it's not that important because you know. So this, if those things like hold people back, like oh, I could never write because I can't spell, or I can't you know I can never play football because I can't kick a ball. Like I've got, I know somebody who's got no no arms. He basically got such bad frostbite, he lost his arms and his legs. Mm. You know, and yeah, you know, he's got no, so he's got no arms from his elbows and no legs from his, from his knees mm. and, you know, horrend, horrendous frostbite, you know, how he survived, I have no idea, but he's done Ironmans, triathlons, you know, he's, yeah. he's done all this amazing stuff. He's got kids and all this kind of stuff. Have you got, is there climbs you haven't done that you want to do? There, there, there are, but I think, um, I don't know. It's been funny this year because of the, because of the old, this the, whole mad stuff. Yeah. It's, like it's probably the longest I've gone without really even thinking about climbing. Yeah. It's probably like do you know when people get to a certain age when they stop thinking about sex, like yeah. like like men. There's, I don't, there's some famous guy told you know some jazz guy was like yeah. when he got to like sixty or something he suddenly stopped thinking about sex all the time. He said it was like amazing. <laughs> the relief, you know? yeah, yeah, the yeah. weight was lifted up by his shoulders. <laughs> like male menopause or something. Yeah. So 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 it's, it's been a little bit like that. I've been because I've not been able to think about it. Yeah. yeah and. Yeah. Uh, I worry. I worry that I've I've become a t- bit too comfortable, like mm. living here in Guardland. Is that in this um, kind of living in Ireland? In this you know, hidden place somewhere in Ireland. Yeah, like um, I, I'm a little bit too comfortable. I've got some sort of Catholic guilt about always wanting to feel uncomfortable. Like basically, I think some people, you know, a really good book to read that book, um, The Making of Ryan's Daughter. I don't know if you read that, but it's um, but David Lean, who was a great mm. film director, he'd always have he'd always end up leaving his wife and having some new wife just before he started some big thing because it would create this all this mm. trauma and drama in his life mm. and it would feed into his films. And I feel a little bit, you know, I'm like happily married, you know, I've, yeah. I've, you know, it's, it, it's bad, it's, it's bad really. Well, it, it's a bit, it's a bit like the, it's a bit like that child, isn't it? Who had the, the parents together and the lovely, comfortable, beautiful home and the outside and the countryside. Is that, you know, oh yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean when you were talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then you're climbing to you're, get you that, found, you found trying, it. You kind of found it. You're like, oh god, I need to go. But you're always trying to make yourself as un- uncomfortable as possible because uh, mm. I think when you come from po- poverty, mm. like someone someone said to me recently, oh, um, oh, there's this book. It's called like Poverty Safari. You should read it. I was like, fucking hell, like I'm not fucking read a book about poverty. I grew up like, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. say I grew up in poverty. But um, but when you when you what one thing that separates people who are, I would say, poor, uh, and people who are not poor, like mm. you, you're a classic yeah. lower, uh, lower, lower class, middle class, yeah, the lower, the lower. I wouldn't say working class. It's like mm. below working lower, class. Yeah, and um, 
you know, upper working class to middle class is separate is the is the lack of opportunity. And the only way you're going to get opportunity, mm-hmm. the classic thing is like someone gets into boxing. That person has no opportunity. They will, they will, they're born poor. They'll probably die poor. They might, you know, their yeah. their idea of wealth is 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 not being in debt basically. And um, so you create have to create this opportunity. For me, I had to go and like climb mountains and nearly die and you know solo things. And through that, you started writing for magazines and then you. You know, people helped you write, you know, sorted out all these stupid spelling mistakes. Then you write books and you stand on a stage. And but but all these things came from this, from 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 going into the going into the fire, basically, yeah. where nobody else, you know, no one else wants to do that because they'd rather read about you doing it. Yeah. But in a way, I think I, I think I felt like my life was so worthless. What did I have to what did I have to lose? But then, but but eventually, you're like, I don't really want to do that. Like, mm-hmm. what if I what if I don't come back this time? Like, there's loads of things I like to do. Like, I'd love to kayak from the Canaries to the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, which would take about you know you know take about eighty days or something. But the chances of surviving, like someone did it in the 1950s and survived, like a German guy, but no one's done it since. I was going to say they haven't done it since, or they might have tried. <laughs> yeah, maybe have, we just haven't. Many men have tried. And uh, but Vanessa, I said this to Vanessa, I was like, but I wouldn't do it unless like you died or something, because there's too much to, too much at yeah. stake now. Where before, I don't think I felt like that. Even though I had kids and I didn't want to, I shouldn't have wanted to. I didn't want to die, but you would you would roll the dice. When where a more sensible person probably so there's something wouldn't. something's changing now. A, a, a little bit, yeah. which is, which is probably dangerous. Cause that's probably when you could get cancer or something. <laughs> like is that <laughs> it's, it's, it's how the film you know it's the, the moment where you put up your guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some some kid comes in and shoots, shoots you. you. There was there's something to finish on in a way because it's that idea, isn't it? It's like you're you're saying something that it's I don't know if it's like intimidations of mortality or something like that. We get to a certain point where we're going. God, I'm getting comfortable with my existence. Yeah, and I, I, I'm kind of wanting to be alive. All my spices are in one. Pl- I, in well, one place. I, I was going to finish one. I was going. I'm kind of part of me because now that I know where you live. Yeah, and because you cooked dinner earlier. Yeah. Oh my God, the curry was something else. And so I'm there going. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 stay comfortable. Stay here. I'll get another dinner. I'll learn that chicken pasadana recipe, or if that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, yes, it's a, it's. A, it's yeah, I think some people are, some people are really really driven, but they're only the my the minority. I guess it's the the seventy eight was it the thingy principle, the Pareto principle. Like seventy yeah. percent of people are happy just to get by, do the minimum, you know, just be ha- just have just, lives which yeah, aren't mis- just be grand, live that full of well, you know, have a few drinks at the weekend. Yeah, it's like the absence fine. of it's not the absence. It's not the, it's, they don't want more. They just want they don't want less, and they want to not have a miserable life. And then the other twenty percent are willing to have really miserable lives. Mm. They're willing to risk it all. So I always have this idea: you know, you got like a hundred monkeys in a tree, mm. and twenty of them are like, "I wonder what's over there." And the other one like, "Why would you go over there? Like this tree's totally fine." This is cool. You know, like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go down there. And like one of them goes down, and gets killed by a cheetah, and they're like, "See, idiot!" You know, and the other one's like, "Oh God, see that cheetah? I bet I could go this way." And so there's this the Pareto principle seems to fit everything. Yeah. So in societies, all these people who are, you know, they want to. You know, they want to be captains of industry. They're driven for no reason. They're not. It's not about money. It's about something else. And but maybe they're the, maybe they're actually the sane ones. You know, maybe maybe they're afraid of. You know, that normality, normality mm-hmm. for them is something which which does make them afraid. Mm. You know, which is kind of weird, really. You know, a normal life is what afraid, what scares them. What we we try to get away from, and yeah. then suddenly we're presented with the possibility of normality. Yeah. You know? Wow. And some some people you meet have this are trapped in this limbo where they want to be one of they're in that twenty percent but they want to be in the seventy percent or the other way around mm. like there's someone who should really never have never been married they mm. should be doing crazy they should stuff. be kayaking from yeah but they but they've kind of got trapped yeah. in this thing yeah. so I, I call it like locked in life syndrome yeah where people are like I can't get out of this I'm, yeah. I'm married I've got all these kids I've got these debts I've got all this, and they just can't, they can't really get out of the situation they're in. And they see quite a lot of people like that. I think it's something about that. Like there's something about wondering, can these worlds coexist? Can you be like, can like you, I don't know, like, can you, can you sort of offer that kind of comfortable connection or like safety, connection, loving life, peace in yeah. one way and sort of somehow not give up on the adventurer as well yeah. without it being... I don't know. Could they support one another? Maybe this thing, you know, that famous story. There was a guy, and he wanted to give up smoking. And then one day, 
he was told like you've got lung cancer and you only have like a year to live and he was like, in that moment he felt like the total the horror and the sadness of like not taking it seriously and now it was too late and then he woke up and it was a dream he dreamt he was told he was going to die and he never smoked again so doing dangerous stuff gives you the opportunity to really not only do a lot of people you know die doing it but but you also almost die yourself and you see that you, everything is stripped down mm. you know you really strip down to the to the real bare bones of who you are as a human being as an animal in a way and i think if you it's very hard to readjust to the real world you know so you have to be you have to be your own therapist in a way because mm. when you're on the side of a mountain there's no one you can you it, know it, it's self-therapy then yeah you have to talk yourself through it or you're on your own yeah but you can't bullshit yourself I'm conscious of time. I'm conscious that you know how long we've been speaking for and I could probably speak for another couple of hours on this stuff. Like we've gone on a, a sort of a, oh, yeah. a journey. A journey. An, an adventure is and a journey without an uncertain outcome. So yeah, yeah. And that was uh, to finish on it in a way because uh, I, I remember at the start of this podcast series one of the things I was saying is like the, one of my kind of therapy heroes a guy called Carl Rogers and he says, uh, you know, like, what is it? Like there, there is no destination like. There's yeah. just the there's just a journey like yeah. there's a destination is death or whatever yeah. like but you know when you're climbing up the mountain there might be a destination to get to the top but it's more than that though isn't it yeah it's yeah like the experience itself of that lived life experience in that moment yeah to me that's what it is isn't it? yeah yeah the rest is yeah it'd be lovely to get to the top <laughs> and to get down again yeah but in the moment of it like well there's this thing that when you look you look back at the final summit yeah, and you look, you see all these. You'll 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 see summits higher than the one you're on, but you have no idea at the time that was going to be the highest summit of your life. Yeah. But it's all of it is a continuation. The mm. idea of seeing it in isolation is kind of wrong, really. You know, putting yeah. in these little, you know, it's almost like butterfly collecting. You know, you mm. put this climb here and this one here, but really they're all one. There should be one sort of learning, yeah. you know, learning process. I'm sure like surfers thought maybe they do like Seth this oh I did this wave yeah, yeah that was the yeah, best yeah. wave like, like a, in my life and like yeah, you know, so they're all they're all they're only, they'd only keep on doing it if they think they're going to get another one well it's schedules you know? of it's I think that's why we're addicted to stuff like there's the payouts you know it's the schedules of intermittent reinforcement like yeah. so if I kept getting a good wave all the time I'd be like ah, it's kind of boring yeah yeah it? whereas like and if I kept getting to the summit all the time it'd be like yeah yeah do you know, do you know, but yeah, yeah. If I get a hole in one for every shot, I'll be like, that's oh, kind of boring, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not, you're not like looking for failure that's just possible, you know, yeah. you're looking for the chance of success. So, Andy, I hope you've enjoyed this. In that's some been way. fantastic. I've had a fantastic conversation. I think it's been amazing. Like, the journey is this like going, what did we talk about? Oh, we talked about everything. Uh, it was brilliant. Um, so look, uh, thank you so much for being a guest on Therapy Talks. You've been like I don't know I, I, I'll be kind of processing this conversation for a long time yeah. because this has been brilliant like what I call multi-layered it's been brilliant um, it's the longest uh, episode of Therapy Talks but I think we'll all be very pleased that it is because we've had such a great conversation look so thanks everyone for listening thank you Andy and uh, I'll see you all next time bye